Okay, everybody. So welcome to um, yet another episode of Dojo Universe. And um, today we're going to have kind of an open question and answer session. So uh, it could last 15 minutes or it could go the full hour. We'll, we'll kind of see um, how things are going and, and what's up with folks. We um, a little bit short staffed. Vin is out of town. Um, and so um, he's usually the guy that keeps us up to speed with all of our news and stuff like that. So Vin's out of town, so it's just me and Carl. So we thought we'd just kind of, uh, you know, do an open Q&A. We may or may not have a couple of Oren Moore guys join us, but uh, people seem like they're busy today. So, so yeah, go ahead and uh, type those questions in the chat box and feel free at any point to chime in with, with anything at all. Um, <clears throat> so let's get started here at the top. Um, Carl, I think you're out there, right? Somewhere? Yeah, I'm out here. Okay. You're pretty loud. You can definitely crank yourself down a bit, I would say. Um, but anyway, um, question number one, regarding scraping chanter reads. Okay. So based on Mark and Jack Lee's chanter sanding lessons, still not clear about sanding strong chanter reads. Does the brand of read make a difference as to where you scrape them. So as far as the brand is concerned, the answer is it doesn't really matter what the brand is. The sanding technique will be a pretty much the same. Now, the thing about scraping reeds is everybody has their own method of doing it. Um, and so you're going to have to experiment on your own to figure out what's, what works the best for you. Um, I do – I was certainly taught – my read manipulation from Jack. Um, I spent several summers with Jack Lee when I was in my late teens and uh, learned a lot of stuff there. Um, and so a lot of my method comes from that. But I also lately have been using the Robert Matheson parabola trick, um, which has yielded some really good results in the band, much more stable and full top hands and stuff like that. Um, so uh, but regardless of whether or not I'm playing a Warnock read or a Ross read or a G1 Platinum read, right, you know, most of these ridge cut reads, I'm going to sand them with the same general strategy, the same general technique. If it's not a ridge cut read, if it's a, like the flat cut, like a Shepherd, um, it's still going to be pretty much the same approach, um, although you might be, you know, a little bit, you know, you might not – sand quite as hard in that bottom third of the reed um, if the reed doesn't have a ridge in it. So hopefully that helps a little bit. I don't know if we had any more reed stuff coming in. Um, okay, we got some good questions. Okay. Carl, maybe you can, I know you've, uh, you've worked a little bit with the new balance tone reads. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Um, Oof, that's loud, by the way. Very loud. I think he's fixing it. How about this? Can you hear me now? Oh, I can definitely hear you. I'm just going to turn down my volume. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what's up with the sound. Um, my thoughts about the balance tone, they're pretty good. Um, I've had a chance to, to pop them in my pipes and play them a little bit. 
Um, I, I quite like the, the concept behind them that uh, you can play or, or you can literally adjust the volume of the read, um, which is kind of a new a, a new trick for drone reads, I guess. Um, you can actually twist the bottom um, of the read uh, where the what's usually a, a, um, a tuning pin in this case is, is, is just kind of a valve and it actually adjusts the aperture of the opening um, on the drone so you can change the volume. Uh, it's also a really handy way to quickly shut off the drone read without having to worry about corks or rubber bands or anything like that. It's just on off. Um, so it's kind of cool. Um, it does have, it's very similar to the original SM90s in that um, it has that same sort of adjustment for read length. Um, but this has a, um, a little bit better um, hemp seat, uh, reed seat there that, that works better in the, in the drones. Um, so I wasn't having any trouble with them falling out or anything. Um, so I, I actually kind of like them. They, they've got a nice tone. I enjoyed uh, playing with them a bit. Um, and uh, like I said, I like the ability to, to kind of fine tune it. Um, so I'll tell it for a bit, and they're cool. I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I think originally the balance tone, you know, might have been like the the first model might not have been quite as strong, but I know that the new models seem re seem really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, let's keep let's keep going on that. And then uh, if there's any follow up questions on that, Alex Alexander, just let us know. Um, Edward asks, I'd like to ask when Donald Lindsay will be back. The answer is uh, the 29th. Not next week, but the week after. So the past two Mondays, he's been away at Piping Hot Summer Drummer in British Columbia. And then this week, he or this coming week, he'll be doing his own Invermark School, which is a great piping school that happens in the upstate New York area. Uh, and then after that, he'll be back for a week or so. And then he travels to Scotland in August. Um, so he'll, he'll be here sporadically. And then once we get to the second half of August or so, um, we will be seeing him every week again. So uh, hopefully that answers that question. Yes. Um, that And that'll happen every year. That That's just sort of the way uh, that it goes with Donald. So <clears throat> has anyone played new suitor pipes lately? I haven't heard of anyone playing suitor pipes. Um, and it looks like Carl hasn't really either. Um, has anyone out in the audience heard of that? I'm not. Um, I'm not. I'll. I'll be fully uh, forthcoming in that I'm not really an expert in bagpipe models. Um, I, I'm. I'm very familiar with the industry standards, such as Nail and McCallum, and uh, uh, you know the new Hardy Henderson type products and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm not really great with, old, you know, older pipes or new versions of old pipes or what have you. Very uh, kind of nuts and boltsy that, that way. But So, Lynn, sorry, we can't really help you much with that one at the moment. Andrew says, thoughts on USA bands going to the worlds. Can you, uh, uh, can you elaborate on that question, Andrew, at all? I was going to say, the answer is great. We love it. <laughs> It's 
always good for for American bands to go over and play. It's a great experience. I think Andrew, I'm sure, will elaborate. Carl, if you can crank your microphone down more, um, it's still really hot. Um, okay, so Andrew's saying, how well do you think things look? Are many going, et cetera? Um, I haven't really studied it closely. Um, I know LA Scots are going in the grade one. Um, Oren Moore will not be going this year. Um, we'll be returning in 2014. Um, and uh, in the grade two, I know that there's New York Metro and I know there's St. Thomas alumni, both who are definite contenders um, to be in the prize list, list if not win the contest. Um, and I'm, I do apologize if I'm missing any other obvious bands. Um, and then as far as the other grades go, I'm not fully versed on it. I know, um, I know Catamount's going over in grade four. Uh, and I know, Andy, you're involved there. Ulster has been going over regularly, which is really cool. So, um, so yeah, you know, generally I think it's a really, really great thing. I think, um, I, you know, I think that it's great for a couple of reasons. Number one is it really is viewed worldwide as the pinnacle contest in the world, right? So to go over there and do well um, is a huge, um, is a hugely positive thing for any band, regardless of whether you're American or Canadian or Scottish or North American or whatever. So, so that part's really good. I also think that there is a severe, um, <clears throat> I think there's a severe problem happening, um, you know, in the USPBA in particular, in the way that uh, things are operated and run. And I think that um, we have to have something to shoot for outside of um, this association. Um, and it's not to rag on anyone specifically other than to say, you know, things are inefficient and it's great to go over to Scotland um, and compete against bands um, that come from uh, come from high-level organizations, not just high-level musical communities. So in the RSPBA, for example, what's really, really cool about playing at any RSPBA event is that things really run on time and you can get, you know, really well into your own strategies. Um, or if there is going to be a schedule problem, you know, the stewards are super proactive in, in making that happen. And, uh, and so uh, for me, that's a, that's a really valuable thing. Um, is just in how well the infrastructure of the RSPBA operates, which is part of why um, I support going to the Worlds 100%. Um, you know, and I really feel that way. I think that, I think we have, uh, I think in North America, we kind of have maybe um, an attitude sometimes like, you know, what what are they doing that we're not doing? Um, and I think there's actually quite a bit they're doing that that we haven't really figured out yet. Um, even just the basic, you know, infrastructure and how a contest is run um, is really, really cool. And, and it's always worth going over there. And by the way, I think I feel the same way about how they operate the solos um, overseas as well. We had Derek Midgley on a while ago talking about that. Um, I really like how they operate the solos there as well. Um, it's very cool. There's, there's a, um, you know, it's different here. It's the solos is different. There's sort of two two different things. But 
Um, so yeah, Andrew, there you go. Way, way more than you wanted to know about how I feel about USA bands going to Scotland. Um, and not without controversial remarks also. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. And then the other question was, what about the grade one worlds format? Well, I think you'll notice they're kind of doing it in grade two as well. It's a two day thing, uh, from what I can tell based on things. I think that the new format is the single uh, best thing to happen to the world's um, probably since the advent advent. No, since the, uh, since they sort of invented and introduced the medley contest. Um, I think it's an absolute glorious step forward. Are there problems with the seating procedure? Um, anyone who's in heat a this year would probably argue. Yes. Um, it's not quite right yet. Uh, and I think I would agree. I think, I think, uh, you know, the way that they did it, you know, somehow ended up with many of the, the best bands stacked into one heat. So it's going to be really tough for a band like say an Oren Moore, or for example, you know, bands who have traditionally been on the cusp, like a 78th Frasers, uh, Oren Moore or whatever, you know, those bands that are in heat a are going to be in a lot of trouble. And I would argue, and I'm, I could be wrong on this, but I would argue that those cusp bands are going to have better luck in the second heat. Um, but but then again, I mean, you're either a top 12 band or you're not. And so, uh, you know, generally, I think it's awesome. Here's a couple of things that a lot of people don't think about, uh, which is why this is such a good thing. Um, the first thing is... Um, the first thing is that there are a lot of bands that spend many, 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 many dollars to get to the worlds. For example, I can speak to the Ormore pipe band. It costs $75,000 uh, to get the band over to the worlds. And that's not even counting right, productivity loss, you know, people taking vacation time or taking time away from their own personal businesses or teaching or what have you. So it's a lot of money. And the original format only guaranteed you four and a half minutes of playtime at the world's one MSR. Uh, and, and then if you didn't make the cut, that was it. Um, which is really unfortunate, especially for bands that are in, in the world's top grade, not to get to play at least one of each uh, at the world championships. You know, that was really bad. The new format allows for that. So you get to do one of each. <clears throat> the other thing is, if uh, previously, if you didn't make the cut, which is at around 11.30 a.m. in the morning, maybe it's at 12, I can't really, I can never remember. But if you don't make the cut, um, you're left to stand around for the rest of the day. So you have about eight hours to stand around and you're obviously not very happy. Um, and, and it's not very enjoyable. You're kind of in your kilt. You're hoping to play for the rest of the day. All the grandstand tickets are sold out and this, that and the other thing. Right. So um, it's very uh, frustrating for bands who don't make it for the rest of the day. So so this way, um, there'll be a cool contest on the first day. There'll be the prize ceremony on the Saturday. And then if you make it, that's awesome. You get to play another day. And if you don't, um, you can come back and enjoy the finals the next day in, in your um, civilian clothes. And, you know, so that's um, a couple of reasons why I think the format's really great. Yeah, Chris says used to cost twenty five thousand back in the nineties. Um, that would be really great if that's all it costs today. 
but it's a lot of money. So I think, um, I think the format's really awesome. Uh, I th- I'm, there will undoubtedly be some kinks. I think they'll probably be working out, but I think it's a great step forward. For the top bands, right? I mean, it doesn't – I'm not sure if Saturday's result counts in the final result or not. So um, that'll be – I don't think it will. I think it'll be two separate things. So for the top bands, right, you know, I, I don't think it should be too much of a problem uh, to make the final. You know, so so I don't think they're at any significant disadvantage relative to where they were before. Um, it'd be interesting to ask somebody about that. So, Andrew, as usual, really good, provocative questions there. <laughs> Let's see. So the next question here is, uh, any opinions on the new zippered sheep, uh, sheepskin bag? And I think uh, Russell there is referring to the um, uh, uh, Lee, Lee and Sons zippered sheep. And uh, we've played one for a little bit. Uh, it's a great product. Um, it combines uh, some of the best things in the world, right? You get to, the access to the bag with the zipper and the tone of a sheep. Um, so it's, a, it's a really great concept. Um, they're, they're still expensive like any other sheep. And they last, you know, two-ish years, two to, um, you know, give or take a half year or so. So I think they're great. Um, it's a great way to, to, to get the tone of the sheep and the ability to put um, moisture control on the inside of the bag. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, then the question is, you know, does does the moisture control um, really do for you what you wish it did? And that's, of course, the ever uh, ever ongoing debate there. All right, next question was, anybody know if the Worlds and the Glenfiddich are going to be streamed over the Internet? I can only assume um, that the Worlds will be streamed again. I don't actually know for sure. They usually come out with some sort of announcement that says, hey, we're doing it again. Um, and I haven't seen that yet this year. I don't know if anyone out there has seen it. Uh, definitely let me know if you had. But um, and, I, and then I would only assume based on the overwhelming success of the Glenfiddich live streaming that they'll be doing that again. Um, the other thing that's also now uh, official is that we're going to be streaming the Kansas City event again this year. Um, so, so yeah, that's definitely catching on, which is great, um, which is great news for piping. I think I think that's the coolest thing because we're never going to get piping on HBO or on uh, ESPN The Ocho or anything like that. A little movie reference there, but uh, you know what's cool about internet live streaming is it's now very possible to do that, and uh, I think it's great for such a spread out niche sort of community. All right, moving on. Don asks, Pipes versus Practice Channer, what is your practice strategy? My practice strategy is I play on the pipes almost exclusively. Um, and I only play on the Practice Chanter um, when I teach or um, maybe if I'm learning a new tune or something like that. 
Um, and I'd most definitely do exercises on the pipes as well. Now that can, um, you know, that might be slightly different depending on what level you're at. So if you're, you know, a beginner, you're definitely going to be spending a little bit more time on the practice chanter, just getting, getting the basics down before you try to combine it with those, you know, skills that are required to keep the pipes going. So, so when you're a beginner, I think you're going to spend more time on the practice chanter, and uh, gradually over time, you're going to be spending most of the time on the pipes. Um, yeah. Yep. So um, I, I hope that uh, makes sense there. It was Don I was talking to. Don, I hope that makes sense. So um, if you're more of the beginner level, you definitely want to spend some time on the practice chanter, but as soon as you can, try to get whatever you're playing up onto the pipes and, and try to make it happen. But there is that crossover period where you have to be careful, right? You know, that transitioning period where you're not quite comfortable on the pipes yet. You still want to be spending plenty of time on the practice chanter continuing to develop your technique. But once you're feeling comfortable on the pipes, then you want to maximize the time on the pipes. That's my personal opinion on the matter. Cool. So, Don, if, that's, if you're thinking of moving to grade three, then I would say, yeah, you're definitely at the stage where you could do most of the time on the pipes. All right. Let's keep on going down the list. Great questions, everybody. Deborah asks, what is the best way to prepare for going onto the pipes. It seems so easy when you guys play, but I know it's quite a lot of work. It's actually really not that bad. A well set up bagpipe should not be uh, uncomfortable to play. It should be nice and comfortable. The one exception might be if you're playing in a higher level band um, and you're playing a heavy reed in order to produce that extra volume that gives a band that extra little bit of edge. But otherwise, a bagpipe should be very easy indeed to play. When we're first learning the coordination, it's not going to be all that easy. But once the coordination's down, and as long as we have a good regular maintenance schedule where we're keeping our pipes really well maintained uh, and keeping them well calibrated, then the pipe should be quite easy indeed. Let's see here. Tim asks, would you say the Scottish events have more volunteer help? I don't actually know how they do it, but they have very highly trained stewards in the RSPBA, and they take they take the the you know they take the structure of the events, the timing of it, the running of it. They take it all very very seriously. Um, and I think they have a very centralized organization in the RSPBA, which is cool. So everyone everyone knows each other, and they take that package from place to place. The USPBA struggles because what we say to an organization is, you know, we're going to give you all the materials, and then as long as you follow the rules, then it's a sanctioned contest. But what what ends up happening is that causes um, disorganization. So. At any USPBA games, you're only required to have one monitor. I, I believe that's true. Maybe two monitors. Not quite sure. But two people 
um, can't be the only trained people at an event if we expect it to go well. Um, and, and we, you know, I think we struggle a lot with that. And I think people kind of brush it off as, and say, you know, well, it's good enough. You know, but I, I'm not sure that's true. I, I think the, especially for pipe bands, running things to the T is really, really important, right? So that every performance is given the exact same treatment and the rules are very clear. And I think, I think we, we definitely do not do that well in the USPBA. It's, it's too, um, it's too kind of rounded. It's too estimated. Um, and again, that's just an opinion. Um, and I'm certainly not, certainly not, uh, I certainly don't mean any disrespect to the USPBA other than to say, I think it requires a lot more organization in, in how they run the contests. Let's see here. No info on the streaming yet. Yeah. Don't you find that gets through good reads quickly? Edward might be referring to um, how often I was saying you should play the pipes. Um, yeah, a good read, you know, <clears throat> if I play on my pipes an hour or two a day, right, that good read is still going to last you three or so months, and that's as long as I expect a good read to last. You can also have, you know, different reads that you rotate through, and that will make them last longer. Deborah says, where do people practice? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, Carl and I, we practice here at the office. Um, it'd be cool to hear where other people practice. What, you know, where do you guys go to practice your pipes? Do you do it at your house or somewhere else? Yeah, Tim's got his own business as well, so he practices there. Some people practice at home. We'll read through some of those in a second. Let's keep going down the list. Is it a good practice to account for wet contests by opening the tongues a little bit more? Uh, Andrew, I would say no, but uh, I would say no, but maybe if you find that your reads shut off easily, and if you find off if you find that they shut off more easily when it's wet, um, then yeah, you would want to open them up. Again, the amount to which they're open is still the same, right? It's still you know, uh, accounting for any deviation and blowing, right? Your reads are calibrated right to the sweet spot of your chanter read. That's what you need. And if that changes when it's wet, then you'd want to do that. But otherwise, the answer is no. Edward says he tends to use pipes not practice chanter, but you can only get three weeks of nice tone and then something begins to slip and I'm back in the cycle of trying to find reads again. Yeah, okay. I would maybe suggest rotating reads or, you know, when you feel like it's starting to slip, make sure you go back to the very basics again, go through all those maintenance things and make sure you're not losing efficiency. 
Chris says, the U.S. is a larger country, so it is more difficult to consolidate running of a particular games. Yeah, certainly it might not be more difficult, but it's certainly more expensive, right? And I think that's I think that's definitely what the USPBA has trouble with is how wide-reaching the organization is. Uh, and I'm certainly not saying the answer is easy there because um, it's difficult. Now with the RSPBA and certainly for their major contests, you know, you always you'll always see those stewards <clears throat> the same every time, and they know exactly how to run it and to keep things going on time. Um, yeah, so that's a good observation, Chris. Some of the better run leagues Tim has encountered have testing to be a judge and to be an organizer. Yeah, absolutely. We don't require that of our stewards here, which, and I, I kind of wish we did, even if it was as simple as like a little pop quiz before the day started. Because it would be great if the stewards kind of knew the basic rules. Yeah, I mean, that can be so tough because most of these games, the volunteers are, uh, sorry, the stewards are just volunteers, and this might be their first games that they're volunteering for and they're stewarding. Um, and that's less so, less true of the, the pipe band stewards than it is of the solos, but either way, you can certainly run into big problems there. Yeah, Stuart's question is really good. Let me, um, uh, about uh, for a new pipe major, what would my advice be? Um, and I'm going to come back to that. Let me just make sure there aren't any little questions. So let's go back to where people practice. House, basement of house. House, I practice in my basement with ear protection. Carry an extra chanter in the car when you're stuck in traffic. A lot of people do that. Alexander says, in the basement or in the backyard. Yep. So there's there's some standard answers there. Okay, so Stuart asks, any chance of a top five list of do's and don'ts, you know, advice for a pipe major of a brand new grade four band? Okay, I don't have a list of top five off the top of my head, but here's the number one thing, um, the number one advice is, especially at that level, the biggest mistake people make is they spend too much time on the on advanced ideas and they neglect to take care of the basics. Okay? For example, uh, too many bands focusing on intricacies of ensemble and phrasing of a stress bay and um, you know what pitch the chanter or what chanter read are we going to play or something like that. So too much nitpicky stuff on these advanced levels where the individuals in the band are not playing well enough. So the, list, the biggest don't is don't focus on advanced topics until you've, really, uh, until you've really mastered and automated the process of getting individuals to play fundamentally correctly. Okay, so the number one way to produce a good band at any level is to ensure that the individuals have the highest level of individual fundamentals possible. So your job as pipe major, if you want the band to do well, is to figure out a way to develop individuals into playing better. 
Um, <clears throat> Russell says key item is in a grade four band is instrument maintenance. Again, you're correct about that, Russell, but it boils down to individuals have to learn how to maintain their instrument properly. And that's obviously one of those simple fundamentals that we all need to get. Okay, so so for me, and even in Orin Moore, right, the number one question always on my mind is, how do I get the individual to perform better? Okay, because then you can make those big picture tweaks very efficiently, and only then is it really relevant. Okay, now, the ironic problem that with that particular philosophy is a lot of people join bands so they don't have to develop their individual playing. So a lot of people join bands because they feel like it's easier than playing solos on their own. Stuart says, for example, introduce rhythmic finger work as a group. Yes, that's a great, that's a great uh, idea. Uh, introduce Dojo U to the group. We've got several bands that, uh, you know, whose membership all have um, group memberships to the dojo. So individuals are coming and watching classes, working on that, those individual things. And, uh, you know, and that's one thing we're really devoted to here is helping those bands uh, get the individuals sounding better. Yeah, introducing rhythmic finger work as a group. Great idea. Um, are they getting the attention that they need? Right? We we have coaching across our whole band. Everyone in Orin Moore gets individualized coaching all year round so that by the time the competition season comes, everyone is playing individually as best as they possibly can play. And then going back to the problem we'll find in a lot of grade four bands is I think people are secretly involved in those bands on the sort of ironic assumption that they don't have to be playing as well in order to have fun in the band. <clears throat> and that's an attitude that we all have to sort of battle. If anything, the individual has to be playing better to be in a band than they would just playing solos on their own. I like Chris's idea of making sure that you blend your pipers. Yeah. I would extend what he's saying. So he's saying make sure you put good players next to novice players. That's a good idea. I would take that a step further and say, you know, novice players should have a buddy in the band, right, that they always stand next to and they're always getting feedback from. And it's not just putting better players next to novice players. It's also putting people with good attitudes surrounding people whose attitudes need improvement. Right? Attitude is a big thing, too. Yeah. You know, you can say what you like about Oren Moore, and I'm sure this is true in other grade one bands as well. What makes Oren Moore successful is the attitudes of the people in the group. It is not how well they play. Now, you know, the absolute top bands in the very top of the world, right, Field Marshall, SFU, these guys are the best players with the best attitudes in the world, and that's how they're doing it. 
or I can almost guarantee <clears throat> I, I don't know Richard Parks personally, uh, but I can almost guarantee he um, he would fully agree with that statement. In that the success of his band has almost certainly been due to, you know, the uh, focused attitude that people have. Steve says, in a group practice of two hours, how much of that time do you include drums with pipes? The answer is it depends what time of year it is. It depends what the goal at the moment is. So um, usually we do at least one run, run through with the drums at the end of a practice. Okay, not always, but usually we do. And then as we get closer and closer to a competition, we spend more and more time with them. Okay. Sometimes the goal of a practice is let's make sure the pipe core is playing super tight. Sometimes the goal of the practice is let's make sure the ensemble is going really well. We actually spend a lot of time some, you know, with individuals at practice sometimes. Like sometimes the goal of practice is we really need to tighten up each individual's performance. And so we do what we call meat grinders where um, me and a couple other of the top players in our band sit down in a row about 15 feet apart and, and uh, an individual will go from station to station working on chunks of a, an MSR or a medley, you know, uh, with one-on-one -on -one with a person and we go super fast through it. We do about, you know, f five minutes per station um, just so they get some intense time and we just tighten up a few of those sloppy spots. It's a great systematized way. Uh, to iron out certain bad spots in the plane. All right. Uh, I think we've covered most of the questions. Have I missed anything? Yeah, Laurie says a lot of the judges, and, uh, you know, I think most of the judges know the rules, and a lot of the stewards don't really know. And then, yeah, a lot of times it's just kind of, they just kind of wing it. And to me, that destroys the spirit of competition. The other thing that's infuriating is, you know, sometimes when you have to submit two MSRs, which happens in grade two and in grade one, and then you get to the line and they say, oh, just play whatever you want today, whatever you feel like. Uh, I don't think that's in the spirit of competition. And it happens as often as they actually do a draw in the USPBA. Um, and again, this is not, you know, it's not, I'm not ragging on the USPBA. I think there's a lot of associations out there that are a little bit rough around the edges. Um, I, I just, you know, I'm speaking a lot about the USPBA because that's where we are located. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it can be mighty frustrating. Um, not not coincidentally, I mean, I, I was privileged enough to have spent many years in the British Columbia um, Pipers Association, and they run their association very, very well. And then the other thing is they also have produced the best champions of solos and bands in North America for many, many years ongoing, right? They're playing at the highest level of any uh, association in North America. 
Um, I think that's a fact, right? I mean, they have the two best pipe bands in North America are from there. Uh, the, you know, there's two or three juvenile organizations that are playing much better than any other juvenile organizations in North America. Their soloists are taking clasps, gold medals, silver medals, light music medals in Scotland every year. Uh, you know, they, they host the largest piping school probably in the world, largest summer school right now. And my question is this, does it have anything to do with how seriously and how professionally they run the competitions? Maybe, maybe not. I think it's food for thought, though. Right? Does the infrastructure, is, isn't that a vital part of how we move forward here? So, so uh, just a, a few thoughts there. How many piping associations are in the U.S.? There's the USPBA. I heard a rumor along the lines that the southern branch is separated again from the USPBA. Is that true, Carl? Uh, I don't know. I know for a while the SUSPBA, the southern United States, um, that existed mostly in Florida, was still um, sanctioning some games, and the USPBA was doing others. It was kind of split there. Um, I don't know if that's still going on or if there's a reversion one way or the other, but um, the answer there, I think, is, is three and a half for that reason. Yeah. So, but anyway, and then there's the Midwest Pipe Band Association, and then there's uh, the Western United States, right? And those make up, I think, all of the U.S. ones. And then there are several across Canada, BC Pipers, and then there's the, uh, I don't think it's called the Prairie PBA, but... It's the association that has the Edmonton and Calgary crew. Um, there's an association there. Don't remember. I apologize. I should remember, but I don't. Um, and then, um, then there's Ontario. And then there's the uh, sort of uh, maritime area association. So, so yeah, there's seven or eight associations in North America. Yeah, by the way, I'm completely non-educated on this topic, so I don't want to be accused of starting rumors or anything. So um, a few people saying different things here about the Southern United States Pipe Band Association. Uh, various things, so we'll have to wait and see what the official scoop is. Something tells me Vin will know when he gets back. Has anyone attended Jack Lee's Piping Hot Summer Drummer? Several uh, Dojo U students, I think, are involved there. I know John Holcomb is there as we speak. Yeah, Robert and Deborah were at the Aurora School. That's that's the Ontario School. That's actually where I went to high school. A lot of people don't know that. I'm a St. Andrews College graduate. I forgot, indeed, Quebec Pipe Band Association. 
All right. Um, good. Well, I think that should probably wrap it up for today. People posting various articles about the Southern United States Pipe Band Association. Uh, I'll leave that up to you guys to read, and maybe we can talk more about that when the hosts of the show know what's going on. <clears throat> so, uh, great. Awesome questions. We lasted a whole 45 minutes there, so thanks very much for uh, chatting and typing in, and we'll see you guys around Dojo U. It's a little bit <clears throat> crazy during the summer with all the piping going on, but uh, rest assured we're here and teaching away. And, uh, yep, Donald will be back in a couple of weeks here for some more PBROC intermittently throughout the next couple months. We're going to continue doing some more and more stuff uh, throughout July, and who knows what will come after that. All right. Looks good, everybody. We'll see you later on.